Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 9.08 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 23rd of May, 2022, and this is episode 594 of Bitcoin and... Got some lousy, lousy news uh, up, uh, so I'm going to try to balance some of that with, you know, some happier stuff. So we're going to talk about a woman named Wendy Williams. Uh, you may or may not know who she is. I did not know who she was until my wife brought me this story and said, you probably would want to cover this on the show. And uh, we'll get into that and why it's just like really, really freaking lousy. We skated over uh, <clears throat> Bitcoin Pizza Day. Uh, we'll have a little bit on that for uh, to kind of lighten the mood a bit. Um, and then we've got some other stuff like Bill Gates and Christine Lagarde running their mouth about Bitcoin. And of course, we're all like, you know, on pins and needles about the price because now it looks like the fear and greed or fear and greed index has bottomed out to like something like seven or eight. So it's clear. I think it should be clear to everybody that we're we're in a bear market and that's okay. It's not like we haven't been here before. But for the class of, you know, 2021, 2020, 2022, you know, it it, it can be difficult. And we understand that as Bitcoiners. So I extend to you the traditional greeting of my people. Welcome to Bitcoin, motherfucker. Because honestly, that's about the way that you kind of got to deal with all this shit. You cannot, cannot, cannot just let it get to you. If, if you're in it, if you're in it for the reasons that I'm in it for, then you have to hold as long as you possibly can. You have to educate as many as you possibly can. You have to talk about it as much as you possibly can. You have to ask vendors at your favorite store if they take Bitcoin or if they would consider it. And if they say, yes, we would like to talk about it, then you better have something to show them. Okay, don't just waltz into some place and go, you know, well, since they're not going to take Bitcoin, I guess it's okay to ask. No, don't do that because they're, it's coming and especially after this Wendy Williams thing, you'll, you'll understand why it's coming to a point where people are becoming interested and they will ask, how do I do it? You, you better have a manual. In fact, it'd be really great. And I'm, I'm, I would try to do it myself, but I'm afraid I'd fuck it up so bad that it would actually be a mess, but literally have a manual with you that you say, here's how to talk about it. If they say yes, Here's here are some apps that they can use. Here's how you would run point of sale. This is how you would get, you know, because these vendors are going to have to pay their vendors. 
So how do you get to a situation where they understand that they can save some in Bitcoin and have the other converted immediately to cash, like using Strike or something like that? How do you put a system together where you can walk into a mom and pop, drop it on the table and they say, I am interested. How would I do this? And you can open the book and just say, here's how we start. All right, so be prepared for people to start saying, yes, they are interested instead of expecting them to say, no, go pound sand. Because people are getting more and more interested in this. Now, <clears throat> Pizza Day, coming back to Pizza Day, Zach Vol had an interesting no, uh, notation about the Laszlo pizza buy that we all celebrate on Pizza Day. He says, Laszlo did not pay 10,000 BTC for the pizzas. He actually paid 10,001 BTC after accounting for the 0.99 BTC transaction fee. See the Bitcoin Pizza Day transaction details in block 57,043. That's an interesting fee, isn't it? Almost an entire Bitcoin to process that transaction. And we think fees are high. Holy shit. Of course, at the time, it took 10,000 BTC to actually purchase a couple of pizzas. So, you know, whoop-de-doo. But now, if somebody said, you know, hey, I got a, a 0.99, you know, or almost a full Bitcoin transaction fee, yeah, you'd lose your shit. You'd, you'd lose your shit. But I thought it was interesting that he did not pay 10,000, but indeed 10,001 for two, count them two, Papa John's pizzas. Now... An interesting thing happened uh, at late last week. Representative Thomas Massey put out a tweet on May the 20th, and it says, Ross Ulbricht's sentence is the greatest violation of the Eighth Amendment that I'm aware of in the United States today. The Eighth Amendment prohibits the federal government from exacting cruel and unusual punishment. Would you like to hear exactly what Representative Massey said regarding this, well, here it is. And I'd, I'd just like to use uh, my remaining time to talk about one case, case of Ross Ulbrich. Uh, he was a young, peaceful, first-time offender serving a double life prison plus 40 years. The guy has been condemned to rot in prison for setting up a website called Silk Road. And there were people selling drugs on there and, and he probably knew that was happening. Uh, but the people who were selling drugs on there who got convicted are already out of prison. And the guy who set up the website when he was 26 years old is now 10 years later, this, this fall, he will, uh, it will be the 10th anniversary of his time in prison. He was an Eagle Scout. He doesn't, he doesn't claim that he was innocent. He, he knows now that it was a crime. He's asking for clemency. He's asking for his sentence to be commuted. And, uh, you know, he's got a college degree. He could be a productive member of society. And so I would like, hopefully, the executive branch to look at this case. But, uh, Madam Chairwoman, I would like to submit, for the record, a summary of Ross Ulbricht's case uh, from freeross.org and remind people that Ross was never prosecuted for causing harm or bodily injury and no victim was named at his trial. I ask unanimous consent to submit these two pages from that site. Without objection, so ordered. Thank you, and I yield back to balance my time. Finally, 
finally we have some higher level acknowledgement of what's going on with Ross Ulbricht and the double life plus 40 years sentence that he received for setting up a website. Now, I don't know much about Thomas Massey. I really don't. I, I don't know if he's like, you know, if the rest of what he says is just a bunch of fruit loops, like the rest of the stuff that I can expect from the United States Congress or not. But on this one, he's spot on. He, he kind of nails it down. Now, I, I don't believe, I don't believe uh, that Ross uh, thinks that what he did was a crime because what he did was not a crime. He set up a website. And last I heard, that's not a crime. If, somebody, if I set up a website and somehow or another somebody figures out a way to do something nefarious and is clearly illegal on the website or somehow or another using parts of the website that I set up, I would not regard that as a crime on my part. I would regard it a crime on the user's part. And it needs to be the user that actually goes to jail. And some of these people that used Silk Road and got busted actually did go to jail. And now they're all out. And Ross Ulbricht, who, as far as we know, never sold a single gram of Coke or heroin or marijuana or anything himself, is sitting in prison rotting. And it needs to end. So even though I'm not sure if anything that I was able to do like, you know, worked. But what I did was I, I, I constructed a tweet and I went to the House of Representatives um, website and started basically searching for the Twitter accounts of as many of the Texas representatives that I could fit into the character limit of the retweet. And then I posted an image of Ross Ulbricht himself so that I could add 10 more Twitter accounts of United States, or at least Texas representatives uh, in the House of uh, Representatives of the United States of America. So I was able to add, I was able to put down, I don't know, man, a lot of like, I don't know, like 25 <clears throat> and then retweeted that so that it, so that this message from Thomas Massey, because I, I retweeted the actual uh, Thomas Massey's original tweet that had the video in it to all my Texas guys. And I asked for help to get that retweeted and a lot of a lot of y'all came out of the woodwork and did and I I appreciate that but it sort of just died after you know 45 45 retweets and I haven't heard a single thing from any one of these representatives commenting back or anything like that so what I would ask you to do is do the same thing go look go for you know Thomas uh uh Thomas Massey's tweet go look for it uh, you can find it. In fact, let me give you his, uh, it is at rep, R-E-P, Thomas Massey, M-A-S-S-I-E, all one word, rep Thomas Massey. And it was on May the 20th. And look for his Ross Ulbricht tweet. Retweet that with your representatives and add a picture of Ross in, in the retweet so that you can add 10 more. Because you can add as, you can add 10 uh, Twitter accounts into the embedded picture. If you don't know how to do that, just use the main Twitter, fun you know, the main Twitter website uh, on a PC. You can do it on your phone too, but it's a lot, it's a lot easier if you do it on a PC or a Mac or something like that, where you've got, you know, a laptop. So you've got some real estate to work with. <clears throat> Please do that. 
let's get this kid out of jail. This is, this is just, this is tragedy. Just it's unfolding. And we've signed every petition that we can sign. We've bitched and moaned about it to the point where one day I was like, what, what, what do we have to do? Do we literally have to get 5,000 people to storm the prison and go get him out like some kind of modern day Bastille? I, I would rather that not happen, but this kid needs to get out. Please, please make sure that everybody hears what Thomas Massey had to say and see if we can gin up some other support from other representatives. But at least Tom, at least he got this shit on record. This is now part of congressional record. And while you may be going, eh, that's just not important, and you may be right, but fuck, we got to do something. Okay, so please help give give Ross give Ross some help. Now, Captain Sid, that's at Captain Sid, S-I-D-D-H, is on a motorcycle tour. It's the Bitcoin tour. He's already been through Columbus, Ohio, Detroit, Michigan. On May the 26th, he's going to be in Indianapolis, Indian, <laughs> Indianapolis, Indiana. May the 27th, the day after, he'll be in Benton Harbor, Michigan. May the 31st through June the 3rd, he will be in Chicago. June the 5th through the 6th, he'll be in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. June the 8th, Minneapolis, Minnesota. June the 13th, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. June the 15th, Kansas City, Missouri. June the 18th, Rockies Picnic. And uh, June the 27th, he'll be in Denver, Colorado. So if you want to go hang out with uh, Sid, uh, Captain Sid, uh, check out uh, those cities and those dates. He also has this. He let's see. He uh, tweeted this today, May the twenty third, uh, at eight forty three a.m. His handle is at Captain Sid S I D D H. Uh, if any of those uh, towns caught your attention, uh, you might want to go check out his Twitter account and look for that May twenty third, eight forty three a.m. tweet and uh, go hook up with him now. Wendy Williams. Okay, let's get into let's get into this. <clears throat> uh, Wendy Williams is is having a really really bad time with a bank, and in fact, it's Wells Fargo Bank. Um, she has put out like a TikTok video or something like that, or it was Periscope or something, some kind of video where. She talks a little bit about what's going on, and I think it would be better for her to say to you in her own words what's going on, and then I'll come back and we'll hammer out some of the details as to just how insidious this shit really is. My thing is that I've been asking questions about my money, and when I began asking questions about my money, suddenly Lori Schiller has got no response regarding my money. I want my money, this is not fair. And Wells Fargo has no questions and answers with regarding my money. This is, this is not fair. And Lori Schiller and Wells Fargo have this guardianship petition about keeping me away from my money. This is not right. And you know this is not fair. 
and this guy named Bernie Young, I know for a fact that Bernie Young used my American Express card to hire an attorney to file a petition against me. That was done with my American Express card. Bernie Young, you're no good. And this is not fair at all, you know? And then there's this person, um, this, uh, oh gosh, this, uh, a former, a former doctor, a former doctor, okay, had medical information about me that I never even got. It was sent over to Lori Schiller. So I haven't gotten the stuff. I fired the, the doctor. And again, all I wanna know is where is my money? This is not right. And certainly, this is not fair. This is not fair. You know, Wells Fargo has used all this stuff to create the guardianship over me. This is not right. And certainly this is not fair. The New York court system is, they, you know, uh, without evidence, they're being weird to me, this court system. Without evidence, uh, they took all this information and continued with what's going on with me based on what Wells Fargo is doing. This is not fair, this is not fair, you know? And the New York court, the New York court is treating me like they did in, do you remember Kung Fu judge case? Do you remember that Kung Fu judge case? That's not right, and that is not fair. Lori Schiller, Bernie Young, and Wells Fargo. Please let me have access to my money. This is not right. And again, this is not fair. So what the hell is all this? Well, let's get into it. This is from Entertainment Tonight. Wendy Williams and Wells Fargo, everything we know about the legal battle. Note, this is from March the 17th of this year, right? So this is like, this shit came out two months ago. This is the first I've heard about it. I haven't seen anybody on Bitcoin Twitter talking about this shit. Because you, if you're listening to this show, you already know where this, you already know where this is going to go, Okay. This is going to go to Bitcoin fixes this. But let's find out exactly just how bad this is and how this sets a precedent that we don't want set under any circumstances, whether, you're, whether you have Bitcoin or not. You don't want this shit. So Wendy Williams has been away for more than six months from her eponymous talk show. And in the midst of her hiatus, another battle has been taking place in court over access to her money. The battle stems from accusations by her bank that the TV personality 
is incapacitated and is in need of a guardianship. The 57-year-old TV host, however, is fighting back, says she's fine and of sound mind, and her lawyers went to court in an effort to help her regain access to her money in both her personal and business accounts at Wells Fargo. Here's everything that's transpired so far and what we know about her new legal battle. Now, this first part, okay, I'm, I'm speaking here outside of the article, talks about her health struggles. Okay, she's a 57-year-old woman. She's one of the people that used to be on Good Morning America for ABC, and she has her own television show. Do I know anything about this woman? No, I do not. However, I'm not going to read this litany of health problems because there's like, she's got Graves' disease. She's got some problems with her lymph system. It's, you know, it, the, these are medical conditions that are, they're medical. They're not psychological. Of course, they're going to cause a psychological impact on somebody because this is, you know, it's all bad news. But she's getting help. She's getting, she's getting medical help. Okay, so... That's where the whole doctor thing comes in about the doctor handing over a whole bunch of uh, notes to the well, Wells Fargo's attorneys. But I'm not going to read that section, okay? Because it's, it's a very long article and we've got to get through it. So let's get to the meat of the matter. Wells Fargo freezes Williams' bank accounts, plural. In a letter filed in court, Wells Fargo made a number of allegations, including that the bank, quote, has strong reason to believe that Williams is the victim of undue influence and financial exploitation, end quote. The bank revealed Williams is an established client of Wells Fargo and notably 15 years with the particular financial advisor whom the bank says is a 23-year-old or a 23-year veteran of the financial services industry with an unblemished record. They're talking about that Lori chick. Uh, we'll get to her name here in a second. The, the bank claimed it is relying not only on reports of the financial advisor who has recently witnessed telltale signs of exploitation, including Williams' own expressed apprehensions, but also upon other independent third parties who know the petitioner well and share these concerns. The bank claimed a financial regulatory rule authorizes it. Let's read that again. The bank claimed a financial regulatory rule authorizes it to place a temporary hold on disbursement of funds or securities where such activity is suspected. The bank also claimed that is precisely what Wells Fargo has done here, pending a determination in the guardianship part concerning its client's capacity. Wells Fargo also filed a petition for the appointment of a guardian. What's going on here? This is a conservatorship. If anybody, if anybody has been fogging a mirror for longer than a few years, you know what happened to Britney Spears. She was under a conservatorship by her father, okay? Her family put her under a conservatorship for well over a decade after she cut all her hair off and attacked a SUV with an umbrella. Yeah, so they called her mentally incapacitated. They literally divorced her from her property. She was unable to do anything. She was forced to take birth control so that she wouldn't have any more children. She wasn't allowed to get married, and she had no access to anything even remotely approaching finance, financial shit. 
she was given an allowance and that was it. All the money that she made, her father was taken care of because he was the guardian. Now, see now, remember that the Britney Spears conservatorship was petitioned in the courts in LA County by the family of Britney Spears. Wendy Williams is having the exact same thing done to her, except it's Wells Fargo. Her bank has petitioned in the courts of New York to put her into a guardianship, which is also known as a conservatorship. Because apparently she started asking questions to her financial advisor working for Wells Fargo about her money. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, after that, Wells Fargo petitions the court to put her under conservatorship and freezes all of her accounts. She's not the wealthiest woman in the world by any stretch of the imagination, but dude, she's, you know, she's making some bank. There's some real material wealth that, that we're talking about here when it comes to Wendy Williams, but she can't access any of it. So they filed a response. Williams' lawyer filed a letter in court explaining why they are filing a temporary restraining order in response to Wells Fargo's freezing of Williams' account. In the letter, Williams denies that she is the victim of undue influence and financial exploitation. The letter also stated, despite Wells Fargo's assertion that its suspicions are genuine, their decision to deny Williams' access to her financial assets for weeks without providing her or her counsel with adequate explanation or evidence to support its decision gives pause for concern about Wells Fargo's intentions, end quote. The lawyer went on to say that Williams' inability to access her financial assets has caused her to be in breach of ongoing financial obligations. Yeah, she can't pay salaries of people that work for her. She cannot pay her bills. So Wells Fargo filed a second letter in court, and in that letter, the law firm representing Wells Fargo reiterated that it is concerned about Williams' situation and wants to reiterate our desire to be heard if the court intends to consider Williams' attempt to relitigate the issue of a TRO, and I'm not sure exactly what TRO stands for. The firm also said it is its hope that the guardianship part will eminently appoint a temporary guardian or evaluator to review the situation and ensure that Williams' affairs are being properly handled pending the application before your honor and in the guardianship part. So Williams files for a temporary restraining order. According to legal documents obtained by ET, Williams is asking the judge to order Wells Fargo to reopen any frozen accounts or assets and grant Williams access to any and all accompanying statements. Dude, she can't even get a bank statement. Seriously, she's not even allowed to look inside her accounts, much less spend any money. She can't even see her own property. If that's not sinking in yet, it needs to. She also wants the bank to be barred from freezing any and all assets which contain funds that were removed and or withheld from Williams' own personal as well as business accounts. In the documents, Williams claimed that for more than two weeks, Wells Fargo has denied any access, whether online or otherwise, to her financial accounts, assets, and statements based on the advisement by Williams' former financial advisor, Lori Schiller. 
That's the Lori Schiller that she's talking about in that in that piece that I just played you. <clears throat> and that Williams was of unsound mind. So this woman, Lori Schiller, has just told Wells Fargo that, you know what, my client who wants to fire my ass and get control of her money, I think she's a I think she's a lunatic. And by the way, let's close her accounts. And Wells Fargo said, fucking A, let's do it. So Wells Fargo's released a statement, however, and in that statement, a rep for the bank said, quote, we deny any allegations of improper actions with respect to Ms. Williams' accounts and are fully participating in a court process to reach a resolution that is in her best interest. The financial well-being of our clients is at the heart of everything we do. Yeah, that's fucking clear. Williams' rep releases a statement. LaShawn Thomas, one of Williams' attorneys, released a statement to ET denying the TV host is of unsound mind. On behalf of Wendy Hunter, professionally known as Wendy Williams, as counsel to her and her affairs, Wendy wants the world to know that she strenuously denies all allegations about her mental health and well-being. The statement began, quote, During this hiatus from the show, Wendy has employed holistic health professionals to help her reach optimal health during her treatment of Graves' disease and thyroid concerns. It saddens her that Wells Fargo has chosen to believe the allegations of a former employee who is upset because she no longer has direct and unfettered access to Wendy's financial affairs. Wendy has to unfortunately bring this action because Wells Fargo has refused to honor her power of attorney, granting her son authority to make inquiries to the bank on Wendy's behalf. Wendy further believes that all of the false narratives currently making the rounds derive from this source, and she is saddened that she once considered this person, this Lori chick, a friend. Okay, so this Lori Schiller chick, who is she? Williams claimed in court docs that Schiller has been terminated but a source connected to the case tells ET that Schiller is a current Wells Fargo employee who is deeply committed to her clients, including Wendy Williams. The only person with legal access to her accounts is this client, and to date, she has not dismissed her financial advisor. Yeah, who's who to believe? All of a sudden, Wendy Williams starts wanting to know about her money. Maybe there's some nefarious shit. Maybe she maybe she's Maybe she is psycho. Who knows? Is that my business? No. Is it Wells Fargo's business? Fucking no. It's her money. And if she wants to go do something with her money, if she wants to, I don't know, even look at how much money she has, she should be able to do that. All of us should be able to do that. She gave power of attorney to her son in hopes that at least her son could go and view balances to make sure at least everything was still there. And Wells Fargo is not honoring that power of attorney. In this particular case, what's becoming clear is that Wells Fargo is acting in a completely illicit and illegal manner, and they have absolutely no one, no one to answer to. Wells Fargo is... I don't even know how to explain this one. Yes, Bitcoin fixes this, but that's honestly, that's kind of beside the point for this. You saw what happened in Canada. All right. Now that, well, that wasn't good either. And it was obviously illegal, but at least there was some kind of pretense of, you know, oh, well, we got to protect the state. You know, we can't have these truckers going around honking their horns. So we'll close down their accounts and anybody who donated to them. 
right? This one is just Wells Fargo, a Wells Fargo employee believes her client may be mentally incapacitated and they freeze her accounts, don't have to honor a power of attorney and puts what has petitioned to put her into a conservatorship before this kind of shit. The only people, the only, you know, things that we have, there's a lots of conservatorships going on. Hell, even, um, the chick that played Lieutenant Ohura in the original tar- Star Trek series, the original series, um, she's under a conservatorship because she is becoming very mentally capacitated. A conservatorship is supposed to be for people that cannot bathe themselves, don't know where they are, can't remember, you know, the names of like their family members, can't really feed themselves and would burn down the house if they tried to cook a meal. That's what a conservatorship was supposed to be for. But now you've got a financial advisor who's calling the shots. And on all of this, her own doctor went in cahoots with Wells Fargo to corroborate them and say that she's psychotic. Well, so what? I mean, if she's psychotic and she like goes out and, and hurts like, you know, hurts somebody, she gets arrested because she broke a law. There, she's not breaking any laws by wanting to view her account balances and have control of her property. If she were to get control of her property, and she is in fact such a psycho that she sends it all to some fake reverend on TV to refurbish her, his jet, that's her business. Still not illegal. Sad. The guy with the, you know, the fake reverend should be shot dead in the street, certainly, but not illegal. If she were to take her money and go fund, I don't know, another January 6th. And this time they started like, you know, unloading bullets and like a whole bunch of people die. Well, that's illegal because you actually killed somebody. That's murder. And then you arrest her and then you take her to court and then you do all the stuff there. But when you've got a financial advisor that can legally pick up the phone and have you put into a conservatorship because you ask questions about your money, fucking A, Bitcoin fixes this. So is there anything to be done? Well, if this is going to become a thing, and I think it is, I think if if Wells Fargo wins this and successfully puts her under a long-term conservatorship, you can bet your bottom dollar that none of us are safe at all. Because at one point or another, we can walk into a branch and say, you know, I'd like to uh, take out half my money and have the teller look at me and say, you know, I think you might actually be crazy. And then all of a sudden here comes the bank manager. And the next thing I know, I can't get any of my money out of the bank. And if that can happen to Wendy, it can happen to any of us, whether we're a television personality or not, because if they pull this shit off with a well-known person like Wendy, what are you going to do? How are you going to fight that shit? You're not. You're not. So there's a whole host of people that are like, you know, my wife puts it this way, psychiatric survivorship, where at one point or another, you're put under any kind of psychiatric care, whether it's voluntarily, voluntary or involuntarily. There's a lot of people that went to a psychiatrist just because they wanted to treat anxiety and depression. And it turned into a shitstorm. And it got bad and bad. And she wrote, that's one of the things that she studies is psychiatric survivorship. Being a survivor from the psychiatric world 
If they're going to use psychiatry to divorce us from our property, then maybe Bitcoiners should be reaching out to people who are put under conservatorship and say, have you thought about Bitcoin? Not that it's, you know, not that it's going to save their bacon right now, but maybe they can become vocal advocates for an uncensorable situation that has been presented to us in the creation of Bitcoin. Man, our heart goes out to Wendy. It really does. And while I am still able, without having to ask permission, it's time to run the numbers. All right, flammable liquids are slightly down today. We've got West Texas Intermediate down three quarters of a point to $109.46. Brenton North Sea likewise down, but only a third of a point to $112.20. Natural gas, however, moving higher by 3.6% to $8.37 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline down almost a full point to $3.80. All shiny metal rocks are doing well today, and all, but gold is like literally is the biggest loser because it's up only a half a point to eighteen hundred and fifty-one dollars and seventy cents, while everything else is up even more. Silver is up 086 percent to twenty-one dollars and eighty-six cents. Platinum making a moved one point five percent higher. Copper one point three six percent higher, and palladium is the biggest winner of today. 2.18% to the upside. Agricultural futures are mixed, and it appears that wheat is the biggest winner, 1.75% to the upside. Soybeans are down uh, three quarters of a percent. Corn is up three quarters of a percent. And coffee, oh no, sugar is down half. And who else is doing good? Oh, rough rice is uh, 1.5% to the upside. Indices, Dow gonna be up point, no, 1.4%. S&P up just over 1%, NASDAQ up almost a half point, and S&P mini 0.56% to the upside. Real money, is it holding at $30,224.48? We have only had 469,000 BTC sent in the last 24 hours. That's just under 20,000 BTC every hour on the hour. With 1.87 BTC as an average transaction value, we are low on the median at 0.016 BTC or just under $500. Block times are low, 9 minutes and 52 seconds. 0.1 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 15.1 BTC taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours. Uh, We have had a minus 7.72% in hash rate bringing us below the 200 mark to 198.83 exahashes per second. I remind you that when I first got into Bitcoin in the summer of 20 or yeah, 2015, we were rating hash rate in petahashes and yet we survived. Nobody died. We're going to be fine. Dogecoin at 8.7 United States pennies. Now there are 2,600 Transactions waiting on a mere two blocks to clear. We have a $577.2 billion market cap, which is a mere 4.72% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 16.4 ounces of 
shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,047,235.93 of, and 3,874 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $117.4 million, being run over 17,089 nodes with 83,612 payment channels that we know of, and 72%, no, no, 72.6% of all of that is being run over TORs, associated 11,963 lightning nodes, and that's gonna do it for vitals. Now let's get a little bit of, a little bit of happiness going on after that whole Wendy Williams thing. How Bitcoin Pizza Day resembles Festivus Anthony Feliciano is writing it for Bitcoin Magazine. Bitcoin Pizza Day, the fabulous event that takes place once each year on May the 22nd. I won't bore you with the details. Laszlo Hanyex paid 10,000 BTC, actually as we know it's 10,001 BTC for two, count them two, Papa John's pizzas in what's widely believed to be the first transaction of Bitcoin for a physical good. Yeah, we're forgetting about the alpaca socks, but let's just go with it. Let's put some dollar value on this transaction. One, the two pizzas together were roughly valued at $41 at the time based on the amount of Bitcoin paid. The Bitcoin price hit an all-time high of 68990 at 10,000 BTC. That is $689 million windfall at an all-time high. That's an astonishing $43 million per slice, assuming 16 slices in a pizza. How many of you are willing to tell your partner or family that you could have made it, but you ate a $43 million slice of Papa John's pizzas instead of making history? Forget about it. Anyways, it's a joyous time in the community to come together and celebrate the strides Bitcoin has made. The day feels like our festivus. We begin with the airing of grievances, how governments around the world continue to print money endlessly, blame the other side of the political aisle, debank people, all while continuing to rob their citizens of wealth preservation through inflation. Next, we move on to feats of strength, where every day, the Bitcoin community comes under a barrage of FUD from lame street media, eco-terrorists, politicians, gold bugs, altcoiners, central bank, IMF, etc., etc. But the community perseveres. For every group mentioned above and their qualms about Bitcoin, there is equally devastating news released about said groups that only makes the case for Bitcoin stronger while weakening their position. And finally, we have Festivus Miracles. Why we all come out to celebrate this day. We celebrate as a community of like-minded people from all backgrounds and beliefs. There is a feeling of hope with Bitcoin not felt in a long, long time by people who have taken the orange pill. People who are waking up to the government and tyrannical central bank system and taking back their financial freedom without the assistance of a bank or government to conduct everyday life. And I would suggest that you look to your local areas for some events as they are taking place nationwide. Even if you are not the most Bitcoin maximalist out there, appreciate the revolution taking place. Get inspired, be part of it. Remember, no one single entity controls Bitcoin, but as part of the Bitcoin community, we can control our future. So there you go, man, Bitcoin as, or the Bitcoin Pizza Day as Festivus.
interesting. Okay, let's let's face it. Yeah, not much, not much in the article. But after the Wendy Williams thing, we got a laugh because we're coming right into the face of Bill Gates. He doesn't invest in Bitcoin. Says it doesn't add to society. Sean Amick tells us more about this goon from Bitcoin Magazine. Bill Gates, the fourth richest person in the world and founder of Microsoft, held an Ask Me Anything on Reddit, which was proven to be true on Twitter, where he explains he does not invest in Bitcoin because it is not adding to society. Is he wrong? When a Redditor asked a Redditor asked Gates what he thought about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, Gates replied, quote, I don't own any. I like investing in things that have valuable output. The value of companies is based on how they make great products. The value of crypto is just what some other person decides someone else will pay for it. So not adding to society like other investments. Oh, for fuck's sake. However, in an interview with Bloomberg this past February, Gates commented on his foundation's opinions toward forms of digital money when he explained, quote, it's not got the visibility of Bitcoin, but the move towards digital money that we are very engaged in is a super positive thing that eventually will get to even the poorest countries, end quote. The issue is not the technological innovation of Bitcoin as a digital form of money or its ability to help poor countries because Gates clearly supports that. The issue is how Gates defines value. By the way, um, Gates helping poor countries Gates doesn't give a shit about poor countries, Sean. Mr. Mr. Amick, who's writing this article, please, please understand that Gates doesn't give two shits about poor people or poor countries or their problems or their relationships with any other country. The only thing Bill Gates worries about is how he can basically sink his incisors into the neck of these poor people and suck the lifeblood directly out of them. Initial stock offerings create a direct interaction where investors give companies money to accomplish their goals for a share in the company. The same can be said for the bond market where investors are giving money to government so they can accomplish a goal and the government agrees to pay investors back a specific amount of money on that loan. Gates defines value by the output that is achieved by a central entity receiving money to further their own goals. This is the antithesis of Bitcoin, so of course Gates opposes it. Bitcoin is a decentralized form of currency that functions as a store of value and medium of exchange, something to be traded for something else that the user wants. There is not a company you are investing in when you acquire Bitcoin. Therefore, the output Gates uses to determine value does not exist. Not being able to invest in Bitcoin is similar to how one does not invest in cash. One simply holds cash as a mean to acquire goods and services. The difference between cash and Bitcoin is that there's no central entity controlling it, manipulating a supply or hindering one's ability to use it as intended by the user. In order for Gates to accurately value Bitcoin, he must first separate Bitcoin from the ideology of benefiting the output of a centralized entity. Yeah, indeed, and he ain't the only idiot that has this tendency to not understand what this is. This, and I have a problem when people say, I invested in Bitcoin. No, no, you didn't invest in Bitcoin. I, I, I have tried to come around to that line of thinking, you know, try it on like a hat, see if it fits. It doesn't, it doesn't fit me. I do not invest in Bitcoin. I trade shitty currency to acquire a better currency 
while I can, and I do that through DCA. But we're not finished because European Central Bank chief says crypto assets are worth nothing. Sandra Lutz has it for Decrypt.co. With crypto markets coming to grips with potentially another crypto winter, many of the industry's long-standing critics have taken the opportunity to add fuel to the fire. Yeah, because they don't know how else to operate. Now you can add the president of the European Central Bank to the list. Appearing on the Dutch program College Tour last night, ECB chief Christine Lagarde, the convicted felon, stated flatly her belief that recent events have proven crypto assets to be worthless. Quote, my very humble assessment is that crypto is worth nothing. It's based on nothing. There's no underlying asset to act as an anchor of safety. End quote. To her, the market's recent crash came as no surprise, adding, quote, I've said all along that crypto assets are highly speculative, highly risky assets, end quote. Lagarde argued before an audience of college students that too many young people invest in cryptocurrencies expecting consistent returns only to fall victim to the market's volatility. She said that crypto investments should only be made, quote, by people who have their eyes wide open about the fact that they can lose it all. I mean, it's gone down by 20% last week. <gasps> oh, the horror. Polling the audience, Lagarde heard from one college student who lost 7,000 euros worth of Cardano last week. That hurts, she sighed. Still, the ECB chief isn't interested in an outright ban on crypto trading in the European Union. The answer to the problem in her mind is regulation. Quote, if you want to invest there, it's your choice, she stated, but I believe that should be regulated. Those who invest should know. It's a super risky asset, end quote. Polling aside, college students on their crypto law, oh, sorry, besides polling co college students on their crypto losses, the ECB chief also discussed the central bank's digital currency plans. In February, the European Union announced it would consider legislation to create a digital euro by early 2023. Lagarde had previously stated that the process of actually creating an EU central bank digital currency backed and issued by the European Central Bank could take up to four years. Quote, the day when we have the central bank digital currency out, any digital euro, I will guarantee it. Lagarde told the audience last night, quote, so the central bank will be behind it. And I think that's vastly different from any of those things. And she's referring to crypto. When the ECB polled EU citizens about a digital euro last year, the majority of respondents said they would like the currency to run on a blockchain. God help us all. The majority also stated privacy to be a priority in the currency's construction and desired a limited or no role for intermediaries in the operation. Yeah, well, you ain't going to get it. A central bank digital currency is one of the scariest things I've ever heard of. Because in the case of Wendy Williams, Lori, whatever her last name is, Lori Schilling, she could simply not even call anybody. She could just at her computer just freeze, you know, she would literally not even, you could just say, all you can do is now eat at Burger King. We're, we're going to reprogram all of your money so that it is only good at a Burger King. Sorry for you. You want a Rolex? Nope, you're not going to get it. You want to rent a car? Nope. You want to fly somewhere? Nope. You're not going to be able to even buy a ticket. You know, even if you have a passport that is a valid passport from the country of your birth, if your country rolls out a central bank digital currency and you are not holding Bitcoin, 
you will not be able to purchase anything other than what they tell you you can. And that's going to include boat tickets, plane tickets, any way to get out of the country if they so choose. Even though you have a valid passport, they can keep you in the country. They don't even have to cancel your passport anymore. They'll just tell American Airlines, and American Airlines doesn't even have to be told. They'll just program the money that they'll, she'll walk, you know, some person will walk up to the counter, hey, I want a ticket to Zimbabwe, and they'll go, sorry for you, pal. You're not cleared to buy travel at this point. If you are listening to this show and you are for central bank digital currencies, stop listening to this show because you either don't understand what this shit means or you're one evil son of a bitch that I don't want listening to my show. Now, getting Bitcoin. Like I said, I don't like the whole term investing in Bitcoin. That's just, you don't invest in it. You're trading one shitty currency for a good currency. How? Yeshua Gola from Cointelegraph says dollar cost averaging or lump sum. Which Bitcoin strategy works best regardless of price? The massive drop of Bitcoin have le- has less le- left investors in a predicament about whether they should buy Bitcoin when it's cheaper, around 30000 or wait for another market sell-off. This is primarily because interest rates are lower despite Federal Reserve's recent 0.5% rate hike. Meanwhile, cash holdings amongst the global fund managers have surged by 6.1% to $83 billion, the highest since the 9-11 attacks. This suggests risk aversion among the biggest pension, insurance, asset, and hedge fund managers, the latest Bank of America data shows. Many crypto analysts, including Carl B. Menger, see greater buying opportunities in the Bitcoin market as its price searches for a bottom. But instead of suggesting a lump sum investment, wherein investors throw down a huge sum to enter a market, there's a seemingly safer alternative for the lay investor called dollar cost averaging or DCA. That strategy is when investors divide their cash holdings into 12 equal parts and buy Bitcoin with each part once every month. In other words, investors purchase more BTC when its price declines and less of the same asset when its price rises. The strategy is so far provided incredible results. For instance, $1 invested into Bitcoin every month after it topped out in December of 2017, near $20,000, has given investors a cumulative return of $163. That's $1 got you 163 bucks if you were smart enough to hold it. According to CryptoHead's DCA calculator, that is. That means that around a 200% profit from consistent buys. The Bitcoin DCA strategy also originates from an opinion that BTC's long-term trend would always remain skewed to the upside. Menger claims that buying Bitcoin regularly for a certain dollar amount could have investors beat 99.99% of all investment managers and firms on the planet Earth. But there are cracks. Historical returns in traditional markets, however, do not support DCA as the best investment strategy. Instead, the LSI strategy, or lump sum investment, proves to be better. For instance, a study of 60-40 portfolios by Vanguard, which looked at every 12-month time frame from 1926 
until 2015 showed that all at once investments outperformed the DCA two thirds of the time, averaging 2.4% on a calendar year basis. This somewhat raises the possibility that Bitcoin, whose daily positive correlation with the benchmark S&P 500 index surged to 0.96 in May, would show similar results between its DCA and LSI strategies in the future. Thus, investing regularly in Bitcoin with a fixed cash amount might not always give better profits than an all-in method. But what about combining both? Larry Swedro, Chief Research Officer for Buckingham Wealth Partners, believes investors should invest with a glasses-half-full perspective, meaning a mix of LSI and DCA. Quote, invest one-third of the investment immediately, immediately and invest the remainder one-third at a time during the next two months or next two quarters, the analyst wrote on Seeking Alpha, adding, quote, invest one quarter today, and invest the remainder spread equally over the next three quarters. Invest one-sixth each month for six months or every other month. Okay, so that's interesting, but I don't. they don't go on to actually evaluate the efficacy of doing that. So this is, you know, got to cut, get, here's the cover your ass, not investment advice. But if I was going to be giving investment advice, I would just stick with DCA. Honestly, at this point, you know, it's just, I've, I've just not, I don't feel weird when we get these market sell-offs because I just DCA. It doesn't matter. I mean, that's like, I could remember to do it. I could not remember to do it. The, the thing is just set automatically. Right now I'm doing it through Cash App for personal and for uh, business. It's um, Swan Bitcoin. And it just, it fires off every, I don't have to look at it. I don't have to do, deal anything. Do, I don't have to do nothing. Whether I forget or remember, it's gonna happen. And it's like, you know, some amount every single week at the on the same day, at the same time, and I just don't worry about it. And yeah, are we in a crypto winter? Probably. Is it gonna, you know, resolve itself anytime soon? I don't know. And I, I just don't care to even speculate. So what's the plan to hold? I buy Bitcoin, I hold Bitcoin, and that's all that actually needs to be done. And now Barry Silbert is asking for your help. And Tim Hackey tells us more from Decrypt. Grayscale wants you to convince the SEC to approve its Bitcoin spot ETF. Crypto asset manager Grayscale, which stewards $43 billion in cryptocurrencies, has reportedly launched a marketing campaign asking people to advocate for a Bitcoin ETF to the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. According to initial reporting from Axios, a grayscale advertisement appeared in Washington, D.C.'s Union Station saying, quote, we care about crypto investors, end quote, and included a QR code that takes people to a page where they can submit comments to the SEC. Decrypt has confirmed with Grayscale that the QR code does indeed direct users to submit comments to the SEC. Grayscale's Vice President of Communications, Jennifer Rosenthal, also told Decrypt that this advertising campaign was launched in April and will end in July. Besides the Union Station location, Rosenthal said that the campaign is also running in various newspapers, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, that's an expensive one, and the Washington Post. She added that the ads also appear on Amtrak trains and NYC bus links and will soon appear on the MTA live boards in and in airport lounges. 
Grayscale's campaign as part of its larger ambition to finally see a Bitcoin spot exchange traded fund approved by the SEC. The federal securities regulator has so far rejected every single spot ETF application still. Grayscale is hoping its advertising and industry clout will return a different verdict from the SEC on July the 6th. The application process is now in an open review period, so anyone can submit comments to the SEC for consideration. Reportedly, over 2,600 comments have been submitted so far. Currently, in the absence of ETFs, products like Grayscale's Bitcoin and Ethereum trusts offers investors regulated exposure to crypto through traditional investment platforms with publicly quoted prices, legal counselors, as well as auditors. Despite the 2% management fee to invest in crypto, oh God, Grayscale's products have still attracted investors. Its flagship offering, the Bitcoin Trust, or GBTC, currently holds $18.7 billion. A crypto ETF would present a cheaper alternative to the management fees of crypto trusts. It would also help Grayscale repeg its Bitcoin Trust to the actual price of the underlying asset. Last month, shares of GBTC hit record lows against its net asset value. It currently trades at a 30.72% discount, according to data from Y Charts, although it is historically traded at an average premium of 37%. Uh, in October of 2021, Grayscale formally filed an application to convert its flagship Bitcoin trust into a Bitcoin spot ETF. Should the SEC approve the conversion of GBTC to a Bitcoin spot ETF, Grayscale says an arbitration mechanism would be activated through the availability of simultaneous share creations and redemptions, likely realigning GBTC share prices to trade in line with NAV. Should the SEC deny Grayscale's Bitcoin ETF application, Rosenthal told Decrypt that all options are on the table and we will always advocate on behalf of our investors. All right, so I think Grayscale beat the GBTC has the greatest potential for becoming a spot ETF. Will it happen? I don't know, but I can guarantee you this. I mean, at least they've got a track record of, of the, of the Bitcoin trust as it has been, you know, it's been around for years, you know, Barry Silbert and his crew. I mean, you know, he's not the most, he's not the greatest person when it comes to Bitcoin, but he's clearly not the freaking worst either. And they've got clout. They've got street cred for better or for worse. So if anybody has a chance of getting a spot ETF through the SEC, it's probably going to be Barry. And why do we need it? Well, we don't need a spot Bitcoin ETF. But my problem is we also didn't need a Bitcoin futures ETF. And now we have a whole shopping cart full of different ones out of different countries. There are very few spot uh, ETFs and none of them are in the United States, not one. So if we just look at the United States, the only ETF that you have available to get exposure to Bitcoin is through a futures. And that's a derivative. That has nothing to do with the underlying asset except what its price is. You don't get BTC on a futures. So at this point, because we have so many futures ETFs, we need a balance in the force. 
we need to bring balance to the force. I wish it wasn't going to be Barry Silver because like I said, there's better Bitcoiners, but he's the most well-positioned guy to be able to pull off a spot Bitcoin ETF. That spot price will actually let you hold the underlying asset and not bet on its price like you're in some casino out in Vegas. Personally, I think all futures are futures prices are just dumb. They're all derivatives of something that you don't take possession of. That's not, to me, that's not really the market making prices. Like, you know, price signal. Oh, well, you know, we're, the markets are necessary to signal price. No, it's not. That's, that's like saying that the casinos in Vegas are necessary for us to understand what the value of a dollar is. No, that is not the way this shit rolls. Because we have so many futures ETFs that are bullshit products, we at least need one spot ETF to bring some kind of balance back to this. I wish we didn't have any of it, but we do. And, you know, whatever. But be that as it may, we'll have to see what happens on July the 6th. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says, jokes. I've started telling people about the benefits of dried grapes. It's all about raising awareness. Yeah, we might want to raise some awareness about this Wendy uh, Williams thing. I'm serious, guys. Like I said, I don't know the woman. I don't sit down and watch Good Morning America. I know what it is. I grew up with it. It was always on the TV when I was a child, but you know, it's gone through many cast members since then. And now we're in the age of, well, clown world and stupidity. But so I don't know if she's like somebody who, if I were to listen to her, would figure out that she's not somebody who's worth, I don't know, walking across the street to piss on, put out if they were on fire. But it doesn't matter what she believes. She could believe that all libertarians are just, you know, terrorists. She could believe that Trump is the greatest thing since sliced bread. She could believe that Biden is not a potato head. He is. And it would not make a one whit of difference to me because she deserves to have access to her money. And this conservatorship thing is bizarre. Having a corporation be able to level a conservatorship in court against a private citizen is the most terrifying thing I've ever heard of. That'd be like me walking, like, what if I walked into like, let's say this shit passes 10 years, 10 years on, it becomes where it's like, I just, you know, walk into an Apple store, let's say, and I buy an Apple product and I just make a off the cuff joke that, you know, maybe I'll use it to, I don't know, hack, hack my neighbor's, you know, uh, Wi-Fi or, or hack my neighbor's Wi-Fi router so that I don't have to pay for Wi-Fi. And all of a sudden I'm locked down from all my finances because Apple determined that I might be psychotic or like I go into a Burger King or a McDonald's or some kind of bullshit fast food restaurant. And I say something that the manager is horrified about. And like, maybe I think, believe that the second amendment is a good thing. It is. And next thing I know, all my accounts are locked down because Burger King decided to put me under a conservatorship. 
Just because Wells Fargo is a bank does not give them any special rights. This could, think about it this way. What if it's a mom and pop store and they pick up the phone because you went in to go buy, buy some vape juice or something and you walk in and you say, I believe that the second amendment is a good thing. And then all of a sudden they pick up a phone and 30 minutes later, your accounts are all frozen. And you find out a week later that you are being put into a conservatorship. If Wells Fargo can do it, if they get this done, if this is successful, it's not about just pulling all your money out of Wells Fargo and protesting and, and cancel culture. That's not going to matter because Bank of America will be next. And after them, it will be, I don't know, whatever, just name a bank. Because if Wells Fargo can do it, all of them can do it. Bank of America can do it. If you think you're safe, because you're not the one going to the January 6th Capitol riot. You're not the one honking your horn in Ottawa. You're not the one that is saying things online like the Second Amendment is, is pretty cool and protects all the other amendments. You know, if, just because you're not one of those people does not mean that at one point or another, you will, you will say something that somebody is gonna find offensive. And if we allow this shit to occur, we're, we're doomed. And the only people that have a way out at all is going to be Bitcoiners. And, but you're going to have to have a travel company that accepts Bitcoin that refuses to adhere to any kind of rules by the, I don't know, FTC or whoever handles travel in the United States. I mean, it's not going to be easy. We always knew it was never going to be easy, but dude, the Wendy Williams story that one needs to sink to your heart and you need to start reaching. Uh, okay, I'm not going to tell you what you need to do. Maybe I'll start reaching out to people that are mentally compromised and ask them, you know, start asking questions like who, who else is under conservatorship? You know, I know uh, Miss Nichols from Star Trek Next Gen or Star Trek, the original series, she's under conservatorship, but she may actually need it. There was a reason that it was designed, but to use it in this manner against somebody who merely started asking questions about her account. And then all of a sudden she can't even see her balances. Dude, that shit should chill you to the bone to the point that you become the frosty, the snowman. All right. If you want to support this show, you can do it with podcasting 2.0. I love podcasting 2.0. I got a lot of sats over the weekend. So whoever's doing that, thank you. Also, whoever's doing that, teach somebody else how to do it so that we can really start pushing podcasting 2.0 to the edges. Do that. And I will be able to see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.